Welcome to the Victory Multisport Podcast. This is Coach Sarge, and I'm with Coach Scott. Hey there. Coach Kenny. Good morning. And we're, we're gra- glad to have everybody back, and we're um, glad to bring you this very special episode of the podcast, which is Ask the Coaches Anything. Let's go. So our athletes have submitted many questions across about five or six different themes, and um, we're going to make a... Uh, uh, great attempt at answering those questions, giving you a little bit of backstory on the coaches, uh, a little bit deeper into the philosophies that we all believe in and um, really have, have a good time here answering those questions. So the very first question that's up is what started you as a coach in your life and what keeps you going as a coach? Kenny. All right. So started me Springdale Dynamos. Uh, this would have been in the nineties. Uh, I lived in Cheswick. I was just working, um, for my, for my company and I was kind of just skating by in life. And I had these, uh, Billy Dugan and Andrew Weber would just keep showing up at my house. Can Kenny come out and play? Okay. But these guys are like 11 years old. Right. And I'm like 25 or 26. Can Kenny come out and play? So it tells you a little bit about me. And um, so, I mean, when they were trick-or-treating one time and I ran out of candy and I gave Billy Dugan a pound of chipped ham and his dad's like, did you really give him Isley's chipped ham? I'm like, I didn't know more candy. I don't know. Um, no. So I was just, I wanted to give back and Springdale wasn't an area that was like Treesdale had a lot of money. So, I mean, I was buying equipment. I loved being on the soil with them. I, I think the best hour, hour and a half of that week had to be me just going there with nothing more or less than watching these kids absorb everything you're telling them, life lessons, baseball lessons. Mm-hmm. And um, that group I put together, um, they really hadn't won anything prior. We ended up winning the Allegheny Valley Championship, and we went a long way into our districts uh, for the Little League World Series. And uh, it was funny in that place springdale was black and gold and we had the dynamo um spark plug logo i changed our uniforms to the cleveland indians at that point i didn't know anything about it we were the springdale indians we had i bought them um nice high high knicker uh gray pants blue uh, socks to their knees the sleeveless jerseys with the cleveland indian patch so bloom and tanza cleveland indians (laughs) all the way we had the logo on our hat and uh, someone said, hey, did you get the trademark approval from Cleveland? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't even know what you're really talking about. But they look good. They look great. Yeah. And uh, so so that was kind of – and I knew uh, eventually becoming a dad, I was going to be getting into it. So why not start then? And it, 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 I've always been a magnet to, to anything, youth sports, sports in general, and I love being a part of it. And, and definitely baseball. I mean, that's your sport. That's what you played in college. Yep. You, you know the game. You, you know how to break it down. Um, and, and so that – that probably lit your wick right there. Totally. And in, and in true Kenny fashion, if the Cleveland Indians would have, uh, you know, in the time and in, in the nineties would have come to you and said, Hey, uh, why are you using our logo? You would have, you would have turned that into a sponsorship. I think they got so mad at me for wearing them. They changed to the guardians. Now they, they, they didn't want anything to do with the Indians because the Springdale Indians. Yeah. I think, uh, I think you have a call on your voicemail from hungry man. They're, they're wanting to talk to you. Now, yeah, exactly. So. Okay. All our sponsorships. Now it's exactly. leak with Celsius. Yes. Yes. Coach Scott, what about you? You, You've you've been coaching for a while. Yeah, for me, it was also uh, youth baseball. Like as a player, when I was a, you know, whatever, elementary school kid, my dad offered to be one of the coaches of the Mm -hmm. team. Uh, He was not an athlete at all. Nobody in my family uh, was an athlete. 
Um, but for whatever reason, I kind of gravitated towards sports and I loved baseball as a kid and my dad picked up on it and just being a good parent leaned in and was willing to be involved and was, you know, there for practices and the team and stuff like that. And that always like stuck with me, uh, just as I was getting older, I thought, wow, that was really, you know, nice at the end of Mm -hmm. the day that he was willing to do that and be involved. And so then as, uh, I got older and those opportunities came up. It just felt natural to be around my children in whatever they were involved. And it just so happened that it was my oldest that got involved with softball. That's how I met Kenny. And I literally would just go hang out around the practices. And it probably appeared like I was that helicopter parent. But really, Mm -hmm. I just was it's just fun. Like, it's just you know, as an adult, like it's just fun to play games. And so I just kind of hung around and stuff. And Kenny was super inviting and said, Hey, do you want to help out? Immediately jumped at that opportunity. And, and I just, it was, it was a great time just being on the field and playing catch with kids and hitting ground balls and all that stuff. And, and I didn't really think of it in terms of coaching. It was just more of like participating and just being involved. Mm -hmm. And then over time, as my oldest grew into running. Uh, I had an opportunity to uh, volunteer at our local middle school when she was a student there and running and they needed help. And, and so then I took that opportunity as well. And that was a ton of fun because now I'm coaching in a space that I'm very passionate about. And that for me really had traction right. to the point where I, I'm still involved. Um, you know, I'm an assistant coach at our local high school uh, and I absolutely love it. Like mm-hmm. it, it is a blast. It is so much fun, which is probably the primary springboard into victory because, I, you know, to think that I could take that passion and that opportunity for coaching and now extend it beyond what I was doing in the schools and work with people on an ongoing basis. Right. I mean, it was just, it, it, well, we've told that story before on the podcast with uh, you and Kenny sitting on the sidelines at, at Ironman Florida and just talking things through and, and you being the technical expert in that subject matter of running uh, track and field, having that coaching certificate in your pocket and, you know, Kenny's passion for bringing people together and getting them excited and getting them fired up um, you know, that's, that's how victory really started. Um, and the other point I would want to make is, you know, anytime you talk about running, anytime you talk about track and field, anytime you talk about whether they're the kids, whether they're current athletes, um, any of this athletics, you, you know, we can tell that's what lights you. That's what fires you up. That's what you, if you, if you had, if someone dumped a billion dollars on your front lawn, that's what you would do. You would, oh, without you a would doubt. just you would you would coach you mm-hmm. would do this and that's that's so awesome to have that energy and to have that passion behind it so appreciate pretty, that really cool we can feel that very very much and well with with your coaching too it was softball I brought him in because of his energy like he yeah. was just wanting to hey could I could I hit use the hit stick and let them hit it and sure he's screaming over there and I'm I'm looking all the kids want to go hit with him and I'm like I got to get that guy on the staff right. and it's funny because we've done this twice now. Uh, River City Venom was the softball organization. We took 
like 22 kids that really didn't have a home or they were on developmental teams. And we built that into 90 some athletes in like three years. And we were the top ranked team in this area. Everybody wanted to play with us. So we've done this before. And I, I still love the fact that you said when McKenna quit softball because she just didn't have it in her heart anymore to do it. And she's like, I want to run. And you said, I got scared because she got so good, so quick, so fast. That's when you really started to really take your whole coaching in this arena to that next level, man. Next level. Yeah, that's right. You know, I leaned a lot on past experience. And I had some fantastic coaches when I was growing up in both high school and college. And I leaned a lot on that at first. And then when my daughter ended up getting very fast, and we had another athlete on the team as well, a boy athlete uh, that's presently at Florida State now that was screaming fast. The two of them, they really scared the hell out of me because I started to question my knowledge base mm-hmm. of what I experienced versus what could be out there. I, I just didn't know. And so very quickly, I I dove in on the education side and I, and I was very open-minded, uh, very willing to take others feedback and opinions and, and just figure out like, you know, what is the best approach? What is the best approach for these athletes as individuals even Mm -hmm. and recognizing like not all athletes need to be coached the same. Right. And, and so that is where I felt like from an evolution perspective on the coaching side, it it really, I really sort of, um, I, I just kind of gravitated towards more of, uh, you know, embracing some of the technical stuff and then also trying to mesh in their stylistic, mm-hmm. you know, combining kind of the art and the science. Sure. Of. Sure. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're all in like, this is not like, Oh, I, I bought a book and I read it. Oh, or I took an online class. Like you went to Maryland for like a week. And, oh yeah. And we're, you were like intense in classes in track and field and coaching classes for a week. At you know, least, right? And it's funny too, because this, I'll touch on this later on, but when I did this, uh, yeah, I didn't even think about like, you know, my age or anything like that. I, it never once entered my mind. I literally just went online and I was like, what, what is out there? What can I do to further my education? And one of the things that popped up was a USA track and field school mm-hmm. and it was in DC. So I, I was like, look, I'll, I'll drive. Like yeah. I signed up for it, paid for it, drove down myself walked in the room, excuse me. And it was, it was kind of funny because at the time, uh, you know, whatever I was in, maybe my mid forties, I, I didn't realize I was going to be like 20 years older than everybody else in oh, the room. Yeah. I, it's 100%. just kind of this moment. I kind of walked in head down, book in hand, like all fired up, ready to go. And I looked around and I was like, Whoa, oh, like, yeah, Hannah. yeah. But, but I, I didn't care. Like I was like, man, I was into you it. Were like, all in. Yeah. It, it's a great point, Scott. I mean, I think all three of us and, and even some of our other coaches that are on staff, I, I don't think that's come into the equation. No one's ever, no one's ever brought up about, ah, do I really need to do this now in my life? Like we've all been about, let's do this. Let's go. Let's learn something new. Let's expand our brain or our knowledge and just try to, you know, continue to be a student of life and a student of, in this case, triathlon and and sport. Um, because that would be, you know, and, and I've met people that aren't that way, mm-hmm. you know, even my, like some grandparents that are like, yeah, why are you still doing that thing? 
Like, when are you going to retire? Like, no, I'm doing stuff. Like, I'm not yeah. retiring. That's just another reason to go faster, right? Or go do more. So that's really good point. You know, for me too, and admittedly, I'm a selfish person. Like, I, I will have, I have no shame with that. Like, and, and it's helped me in some spots. It hurts me in others in life. And I get it. It's okay. As I get older, it's, I just reconcile it and I'm all right with it. But in a case like that, where I walked into that classroom and I had my intention of gaining education, it wasn't anything about me. Mm-hmm. It was about getting knowledge and education for the athletes Kids. that I was coaching. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And and so then in moments like that, I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not as selfish as, as I thought. Maybe I am putting others first. And then when you have kind of those moments, you realize, you know, maybe you're a little bit different of a person than what you always think that you are and that you're just capable of achieving more than you ever thought. A hundred percent. So good, really good stuff. Uh, My own personal story about coaching really comes from when I joined the military. I think that I became a coach when I became a non-commissioned officer and my part of my job was to teach, train and encourage and, and hold accountable a group in that case, men, I was in a combat arms, uh, unit. So it was all, all men. And, um, they're from all over the country. They're completely different. They had, you know, different educations. They had different, uh, intellect levels. They had different motivations for even being there. And so trying to organize them and, you know, herd the cats, if you will, um, became a skill that I was pretty decent at and I excelled for, and I got, I got recognized for many times when I was in the military. So I started back then. It probably started in a rudimentary form earlier than that, but I didn't really recognize it. I didn't understand that's what it was uh, as I was growing up. And since that time and before joining Victory and becoming a coach with you guys, you know, I've always spent my time with, you know, uh, really the boy scouts and spending time working with youth and trying to herd that level of cat. That's a whole different game and getting them to, you know, really become men and even little men like 11 year old men or 15 year old men, because the things that the, the principles and the decision-making, you know, process that we teach them through being outdoors, being self-sufficient, being able to make decisions about weather, temperature, how to pack, how to think ahead. Um, I think are really important life skills that, that we give them. And so we've been doing that. I've, I just look back now cause my son's about to graduate out as an Eagle scout and, and turn 18 at the end of this year. And we'll have been doing this for over 13, 14 years uh, from when he was little tiny dude, you know, all the way up to now he's taller than I am. So I, um, it's, it's pretty amazing. And I told a story earlier today about even seeing some other kids that, are now becoming Boy Scouts that mm-hmm. I started with when they were kindergartners. And they're looking up to me like, well, oh, Mr. McBride, he's, he's like Mr. Scoutmaster, you know, and I kind of am because I've done it all. And it's, but it's, it just giving back in that way. I hopefully pays that forward. Even after I'm gone, these, these men and their families will benefit from the time they spent with me. I wish you were my, yeah, Scout leader I, I back then. I got kicked out for <laughs> shooting a bottle rocket in Nelson Noda's tent when he was sleeping. Oh man. And uh it, it got caught, went through his tent, caught on fire, and uh my mom was like, What did you do? I'm like, You don't want to know. No, you don't I ask. Think you want to know. Don't ask questions you don't want to really know the answers to. So what could my life would have been if you were leading me into a man as an eleven uh, year old? We would have fixed it. So or you'd have done a lot of push ups. <laughs> so all right. Good good stuff, gents. Um 
So getting switching the script here a little bit, one of the very first questions the athletes asked, and a, and a couple of different athletes um, brought this up on the survey, um, is what <laughs> what is the thing, and I, I kind of giggle, what are some of the things that the athletes do um, that drive you nuts, if you will? Can, Can we he? go first? Yeah. Um, not uploading your workouts. Because we can't, when we see you red, we assume you didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And then we'll call and say, hey, did you not have your workout today? <clears throat> no, no, we did it. It's good. But we don't know that. So I don't know how your heart rate was. I don't know if it was stressor. I didn't see a comment in there. I just don't know. So when you're asking me to coach you, how do I know the best way to get you your next week's plan or your two weeks out? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is when we continue to focus on the areas that we're really good at. Like, man, I'm going to keep swimming because I'm so good of a swimmer or my my run is my strength. Let me keep building on my run, not knowing that Lake Placid is like a $6,000, $8,000 bike, but we're riding flats. Like, go find the hill. Understand what you're going into. Mm -hmm. Um, And if if we're a, a weak swimmer, but we're hitting all of our bike and all of our runs, go and get those swims. Force it in. You may not like it. You may not love it, but it's part of the race. Right. So I think for me... Um, be proud of your work you're doing, whether it's slow, whether it's really fast, upload it in the training peaks, make sure you're connected and reach out to me. If you're having a problem in one of the areas, let's talk about it. Let's unpack it. If it's the swim, go away, go hit it. So I just, when I see red on something that I know is weak and green on all the others, it makes me question, like we got to go after that one piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. So that's mine, Sarge. Yeah. Yeah. Coach Scott. Yeah. I would say for mine, um, and I will say there's always sort of two sides of the equation here where I think of things from a positive perspective and then where there's areas for, you know, an opportunity for improvement on the positive side, I would say, and this is related to the athletes that I work with, uh, you know, on a daily basis, the communication is actually pretty good. You know, I mean, I, I, I like everybody else in the room and is listening to the podcast have a very, uh, stressful life at times jam packed with a lot of demands from work to family, uh, to other activities that we're involved in. Uh, so, uh, you know, having that constant flow of communication, even if it's just simple text messages is, is huge, uh, just because it allows me to get an immediate read on where people are in terms of coming back to Kenny's point. Like, are you staying on point? Are you not like what's kind of happening? And both positive and negative uh, comments back are are good because I need to know if we're on point or if we're deviating. Now to the the topic there of deviation, I would say the one thing that definitely goes against my personal wiring that I struggle with at times is just when people deviate from the plan too much. Uh, I think a little bit is okay. And, uh, and over time, I've tried to work on that just personally, like trying to figure out like, okay, like I, I want to keep this fun for athletes. I want to make sure that they're enjoying it. And so, you know, I always try and take a step back and look at the big picture and think, okay, are we still accomplishing our goals? Uh, But the consistent deviation from a plan, I I know fundamentally that can hurt performance. And, and those are from, from a athlete preparation perspective, that always makes me a little bit nervous. Um, Again, just because I feel like from a, a coaching perspective, my obligation is to get you to the starting line mm-hmm. prepared, 
healthy and and if we're the always, best possible condition yeah right? best and, possible if, condition. and if you're always you know moving away from plan or doing some derivative of it well then you're not really staying on point and it, it, be, it makes it even tougher i mean not that we're it just makes it tougher to build a a macro plan that's going to get them to that start line great because point it, it the ripple effect of missing or having problems and that's going to happen. So we do have the ability to adjust if you get COVID, if you are sick, if these things happen. Um, but it does start to affect, you know, whatever's happening this week might affect what's happening downstream, you know, also, cause there's a ripple effect. There's only so much volume you can pick up safely. There's only so many other days to train those days are eliminating every single day between now and race time. And so there's a lot of things to fit in there. So that's good. My um, feedback in this regard, things that are, you know, somewhat frustrating is sometimes we get into these conversations where we are trying to find out, you know, why is it red? What's going on? Um, You're having these issues. Um, And it's not that it's not that they're having an issue. They got a new job. They have to adjust their schedule. Life's coming at them fast. That's, that's perfectly acceptable. It's going to happen. It's the, the, the yeah, buts or the, I can'ts and the not coming even to the coach with some solution mentality of, I know I can't get this done because my job requires me to fly out of town, but I can do this, this, and this. And I have some athletes that are really, really good at that. They do travel for work and they will come to me and say, I've already looked at the hotel. It has a pool. I can still do swim and run. I just not going to have my bike with me. Right. Okay. Well, we can shuffle the deck, stack it for you Mm -hmm. and put that bike on when you get, when you, well, what time do you land on Thursday? Would you still be able to get a bike in at home on Thursday? Yes. Boom. Okay. Bike goes on Thursday. We do swim and run on the other days. So that's, that's the, the, I guess the optimum way to deal with the coaching um, because then you, everybody's got a, everybody's got a part in it. Everybody, it's a two way street and it's, um, it's doable and it's manageable. It's the, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Okay. Well, how about this? How about you quit? Like maybe, I mean, I'm not, I'm saying that facetiously, I, you know, we're not asking anybody to do that, but come with a solution. It makes it a much easier conversation. Everybody has some skin in the game then, and we, we can move on. So those are probably, that's probably one of my biggest frustrations. It doesn't happen a lot. It's very minimal. It's just here and there flashes of it. And uh, we get past it pretty quick. Awesome. Um, so ticking off other questions, Doc Pinion came to us um, on our survey and asked if uh, we would, we would all uh, chime in a little bit more about our upbringing, you know, not necessarily in sports, but just where we've come from. You know, he, he actually listed from ages 12 to 35. I can't even really remember back that far. No, I'm kidding. But, um, you know, so, uh, Scott, why don't you go first on this one? Um, you know, we know we heard in your other podcast about you and your dad running, but you know, what else, what else were you exposed to and what kind of a situation did you come through yeah. growing up? So, so I, um, boy, definitely as you get older, you have the wisdom of looking back and thinking about life in chunks of time and different phases. Um, for me, you know, as a, a youth, whether it was sports or whatever I'd get involved in, and mostly it was sports. I was pretty competitive. Like that, that side of me was always there. There's always a drive and, and willingness to be competitive, but it was when I, um, 
when I graduated undergrad. Mm-hmm. And so I started a pattern for a couple of years out of school where I would just work nine to five. Um, and I had a great introductory job at the bank. Uh, wasn't making a lot of money. I actually had a, a part-time job on the weekends delivering furniture as a means to try and help pay student loans down, stuff mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, other nights were filled with like video games and stuff like that. Like it was, uh, you know, in hindsight, looking back on a couple years out of school, it was not a good pattern that I was falling into. And fortunately, what happened was, and I was 24 at the time. Actually, I was 23, I guess. Um, I was diagnosed with melanoma. So melanoma is a skin cancer that is fatal if it's not caught early enough. I had no clue. I'm this 23-year-old kid. I go in the doctor. They identify this, and they're like, you have melanoma. And I was like, uh, so, you know. And and so then it, it started for me, this pattern of I had to go get CAT scans. I had to, you know, literally go through. I had to have surgery. Um, and, and this all happened very, very fast. Like there was a lot of urgency behind this, a lot of unknown behind it. And, and I'll never forget, I, I climbed in for, I was, at, I was at a medical facility and I went to have a CAT scan and there was somebody there that was also like mid twenties, a uh, nice girl was just chatting with me, helping me get ready for a CAT scan. And she said, well, you seem like a ni- nice enough guy. I hope whatever's going on, you're okay. And I was like, what, what, what? like, oh my God, the like reality check yeah, of all reality like checks was, right it, there. That was my literally to the second. That's when I had my moment of mortality. Mm-hmm. And I'm so lucky that I had that at 23 years old because I remember walking out of that medical facility and thinking, man, I am not wasting another minute of my life. Like there are so many things I want to do. And I know the term bucket list gets kicked around or whatever. And I did not have a bucket list in mind, but I just knew like, man, there, there is unfinished business here and time is wasting and I am going after everything. And I don't, you know, I, I just put blinders on for lack of a better term. And I tuned out all the noise and then I would, I identified what I wanted to go after and I had singular focus and I went after it. So, so one of the things for me personally was, uh, that I wanted to go get my graduate degree because in my family, my dad was actually the first person to ever get a college degree and it took him a while to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, man, I, I'm going to go one better. I'm going to go get my graduate degree. And, and so I went through this process where I had applied at a top business school and initially I was rejected or it was like a, eh, we're not sure. Why don't you come in and talk to us? So I, I show up, I go in there, I, I talk to them and they're like, you know what? Uh, we're not sure. You, you've got some questionable undergraduate grades. And I was like, what can I do? And they're like, well, you can go to a local community college, retake those courses. And if you do well, then we'll consider you for admission. Mm-hmm. I was like, done. And literally within like a week later, I was sitting in a community college, Midlands Technical Community College in Columbia, South Carolina, front row of an advanced calculus course. I was 10 years older than the next student. I was like 28 at the time. And I was like, damn it, I am, if that's what I have to do to get that, I'm going to do it. Means to an end. And, right? and I, mm-hmm. I checked all of my humility at the door. I'm like, this is what I'm doing. And I went in there, I crushed it. I went back to the university, met with the same administrators and said, look, here's what I did. And they were like, okay, you get a, you get a shot. 
So the first time I walked into the next classroom, it was a financial accounting course of like 200 people that were, again, all younger than me Uh and perceived to be all smarter than me. And I froze and I thought, oh man, this is like, what did I get myself into? And it was horrible. Like I, I, I got a C in the Mm -hmm. course and in graduate school, if you get two C's, you're gone. Yeah. So I got the first class, it was a C and I got a letter in the mail that said, basically you're dumb. Yeah. And, and for me, it was a, for lack of a better expression, it was a come to Jesus moment. And I, and fortunately my wife, Tracy said, look, you do whatever you have to do to be successful here. You have my support, whatever that looks like, figure it out. And, and that's all I needed to hear. And immediately reengaged. I, I crushed every single course thereafter straight A's, but it, it took that moment for me to realize what was important. And I went right back after it. So that's amazing. One example of just like having that appreciation that there's an expiration date to life Mm -hmm. and it is up to you to decide what to do with that time. So now coming out of that from an education silo, I had other opportunities out there. I had a friend approach me once out of the blue. Hey, would you like to go climb a 14,000 foot peak in Colorado? I was like, yes, do it. We're doing it. What, what do we need to do? Got our checklist together real fast, picked our date, found the weather. I did it. As a matter of fact, I have the picture hanging in my office where mm-hmm. I've got the U.S. geological symbol that, that the names survey. the mountain, yeah. and I'm standing on top of the mountain. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Next thing was Boston Marathon as a runner. I was like, man, as a kid, I had posters on my wall of all of the runners that had won Boston Marathon, Olympians, all this other stuff. I thought, I am going to run that course. Mm-hmm. I am going to qualify for this and do it. Did it. Iron Man, another one. I can remember as a kid watching that on TV, watching people crawl, crawl across the finish line. I thought, I want to do that. Again, same. it's the same approach. I, was, I had the singular focus. I put the blinders on. Heat-seeking missile. I yeah, tuned absolutely. out all the noise of people that would say things like, why don't you join us at happy hour tonight? No, I can't. I have to study. I have to train. I want. Hey, are this. you still doing that running thing? Yeah. What? Like really asking I, I like am. early sideways questions, right? Real sideways. Yeah, so. people. Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And immediately in my head, I was like, "Dude, you don't you understand. No you don't even know the unlock. Why that's about aren't to you doing this? Mm-hmm. Why aren't you doing something other than just sitting on a stool? Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, Get yeah, up. Yeah. Life is a participation sport." The, the earlier in life, people realize that. And again, I, I pursued this a, across all of my passions. And, and Tracy, my wife, will be the first one to tell you, I am a very intense individual. When I go in for something, I am in. All in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it is, going to be a, a, it is going to be a 100% success or I'm going to go down in flames. And I'm, going. O- and I'm okay with either one of those outcomes. There's, there's a saying, nobody in life will regret failure, but they will regret not trying. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and thank God I was living proof at a young age diagnosed with a cancer that can be fatal and is fatal. And, and I was able to overcome that. I had a moment of clarity and, and I squeeze every minute out of every day. Uh, when I look back at life, that's the one thing I want my kids to say was like, man, like 
dad lived life. Yep. Likes yeah, to go yeah. guy. You, you, you bring up a couple points and I'm going to go ahead and, and tick them off because they're actually in the questions. Um, so the, uh, you bring up the point of what you would, you could have called in that first graduate level class imposter syndrome, right? Why am I here? Am I good enough to be here? You know, like you said, perceived that everybody was smarter than you in the room um, type of thing. And I think that to answer the the athlete's question about how do you deal with that, um, you, you do exactly what you did. You, you, you wake yourself up, dust yourself off from whatever you, you feel like you're in and just keep going. Um, everybody deserves to be where they want to be. And are they, are they going to be coming in as a pro athlete to triathlon? Probably not. They're, they're especially if it's their first one, hundred percent. No, but they deserve to be there just like everybody else. Your bike racks, just like everybody else. The course is the same, um, as every other athlete that day. And you have the same opportunity to accomplish your goals and your goals are just probably going to be different than the guys to the left and right of you in that bike rack. So, you know, the one thing I always remind myself too, everybody comes from somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like there is no magical place that certain people come from that gives them an advantage over anybody else. And to be quite honest, you can draw positives out of anything from your background. I mean, let's keep it real here. We're all from Western Pennsylvania. I'm from a small steel town in the Hills. I'm not privately educated. Right. I had to fight and claw for a lot of stuff in life. Yep. I, I take pride in that. Like I, I'm, I'm okay with that. There's some grit and determination for sure. that's weaved mm -hmm. into the fabric of, of who I am. And, sure. and I, you know, I'm, I'm good with that. And if that means I'll go toe to toe with anyone, then let's go. Yep. And if Scrap. I lose, I lose. I'm Scrap okay. It out. But yeah. at least Can't... I, I feel confident in who I am feet yeah. on the ground. And you know, I, you don't have to have, so if you bring it to this sport, you don't have to have a, a there's no ideal body type. There's nope. no, um, you know, there's no particular model that exists out there right. that says you have to be X. It, it literally is just going to be what, what can you do to, to toe the line? And that's true of everything in life. Kenny talks about it at, you know, at his day job, but he does it in, in everything he does. And it's talking about getting in the corners and getting dirty. Like you'll do that. You, you don't yeah. care. Like everybody else is avoiding it. Ah, that's that. I don't I love it. I don't want to go meet that client. They're going to be a pain and you know, but Kenny goes and writes the paper, man. I love it. You know, and I, that's why I think I've always said to our athletes, like when you go to your very first Ironman, go early, Yeah, go early and go to the village as much as possible. Be around athletes as much as sure. possible, because as soon as you understand they're the same bike shorts you're wearing, they're the same calf mm -hmm. sleeves you got on their bike might be $10,000, but guess what? It has the same race wheels on and yours might be eight and they have a different engine than you do, mm -hmm. but you belong and right. it's like tugboat said it, you know, just be, you don't have to be number one, just be right. Show up and be, and yeah, I, I think, you know, fighting it out and, and going in the corners and saying, Hey, you knocked on my door. I'm answering the dang thing and whatever outcome is i'm okay but i know i i, I put my best effort into it and i'm we're gonna let it go absolutely I, I love it so kenny um since we're you know you're you're on here now where'd you come from i mean you were 12 years old 
you already talked about a Boy Scout, you know, getting in trouble yeah, with yeah, Boy yeah. Scouts. I, but, uh, I had a little checkered history, and I, I think a lot of the victory guys know, but for the listeners out there, I, I grew up in a, just kind of a different household. Um, my, my dad was addicted to gambling. My mom was an alcoholic. And being in an addictive um, household, you know, I could have went a couple different ways. And, and one of the things, you know, that I always did is I, I loved my mom and I loved my dad so much. And um, and, and I knew I had that compulsive behavior. I knew it. I have it. I have it today. And to Scott, like when he says he's an intense person, I'm intense too. different ways of intense. There's an intensity that I'll bring to the table of I want to win. And I don't it's not that I want to win in certain ways. I want to be the best human I can be. I want to be the best athlete I can be. I want to I want to be remembered as somebody that didn't just bring one person into the sport that brought the mice of men. Like I brought a thousand people with me. I want to be known as a guy that put others first and going, growing up in that situation. I I was fearful of getting caught up in alcohol or getting caught up Mm -hmm. in gambling. I mean, I remember waking up to, Hey, your dad's leaving. Say goodbye to him. Waking up to, Hey, your dad made a $10,000 bet in a USFL game. Like, I don't even know how you find a USFL game or how you find a line (laughs) on it, but somehow $10,000 went up on it to get the kids out of the house because something bad might happen. And so it was just a checkered past. And I didn't want that ever. And I knew that if I could draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not going there, I'm not going there, but where I am going is Mm -hmm. I'm going to pour myself into being very good. If I'm a janitor, I'm going to be the best janitor. And if I'm a sales guy, I'm going to be the best sales guy. And if I'm a manager, I'm going to be a best manager. And so I just wanted to excel and I landed in having a great job, but that job didn't have like what I was looking for. It, it, it does, it, it supports my family, but it didn't give me the outlet to coach or to build something. And that's where building venom to the nth degree mm-hmm. and, and building victory and chasing this down. And it's no surprise that I've done an Ironman. When you, when you be, grow up in that compulsive behavior, finding like Harley said, it, you know, addicts chase something more. And that's why he's going to do a 250 mile run in May. Right. Cause he's running from something or running to something. And that's where it took me to the sport was I just didn't want to see the demons of behind that, that, controlled my dad or controlled my mom. I control me and I'm never going to let my past dictate who I am. I'm going to rewrite the narrative and I'm going to create a book that hopefully when I go home to God, my someone's going to say to say, or someone's going to say to Lorelai, man, your dad was a really good dude. Right? Like, man, he changed my life. Cause when my mom died, people came out of the bushes and just said, your mom saved my life. Your mom mm-hmm. got me off of alcohol. Your mom gave me her boat when I didn't have a house to live on. You know, right. that's what I want to be remembered for. And Absolutely. that's kind of what I grew up with is just dealing with some stuff, but never let the stuff control me. And the way you've, taken the energy of the environment you were in, made decisions, even probably as young as 12, when you were younger, knowing that you were going to do everything possible to not fall into those same types of addictions um, and turn it positive. And, you know, I know you got in trouble at the scouts and probably in trouble at school, Tons. And, you know, cause I was trying you, to make everyone laugh. Yeah, was- You're dealing with it, right? You were, you were dealing with all these things going on, but you've, you've, over time turned that into a product that uh, is just attractive to people to be around for us to be around you in victory for us to be around you as a friend and an old neighbor. And, um, you know, 
the athletes come, you know, everybody talks to Kenny, right? All of our athletes, oh, I like love every, it. every question, every concern. Hey, uh, Hey coach, you think I should wear the purple socks or the blue socks today? Right. You're like, uh, I get, the, gr- I, get the, I get the great stuff too. You get the good ones. Right? What would you do if you went to the bathroom in your face? I don't know. Yeah, what do you yeah. think? What, I mean, even, do? even doc pinion asks you medical, like, Hey, uh, I have an injury. What do you think I should do? I'm like, Oh, you should probably talk to a doctor. What, what would you say doc? <laughs> So uh, it, it's it's infectious. In Who a good asked way. this question? By the way, was it Pinion, um, Doc? Uh, yeah, Doc did. Yeah, it's yeah, interesting be- on the, on the twelve it, to thirty five year old life. It really is interesting because our very first party that we had, and it might have been at the camp last year, or maybe it was at the Pittsburgh Marathon. I think it was Pittsburgh Marathon, and he was in your kitchen, and he made the comment that. In life, it was almost like a downward trajectory. And then when he found this and this outlet and that he's chasing it, now Angie's in it, mm-hmm. his life has kind of shot upwards. And, and he said, he's like, look, I'm a doctor. I'm in, at a facility. But it just seemed like I was waiting for my days to wind down. And now he's got that control of, like you said, and we have it. There's a reason I guess we have it on our tri suit. We're living our dash. Mm-hmm. Like the dash got your... It's not the born date and the, the, the fatality date. It's what you're doing, man. Like, I know he's, he wants to ride his bike across America. If somebody said, right. there's four people that want to, yes. Yeah, he's in. Yes. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's just waiting for that opportunity, you know, target of opportunity. Moose. Sorry, you call made, him Moose. You've made this point before, too, about surround yourself with good people. Yeah. And that's when I know the theme is that you're touching on right there, Kenny. It's like you surround yourself with good people and good things will happen. And that's exactly what that is, you know? Yeah, I think that's what all of this is. Mm -hmm. You're seeing a quote about that. And I think it's, show me your support and I'll show you your success. Show me your friends and I'll show you your success. You're you're seeing it quite a bit recently. Absolutely. hundred percent. So that's a good one. That was a really good one. It's a good question. And you know, my own story is, you know, I was troubled. I, I had, I didn't want to be in high school. I hated school. I hated the structure or the environment of school. Um, I realized later now growing up and, you know, living through more things that I, I really enjoy learning. I just didn't want to learn sitting at a desk, you know, out of a book or from a blackboard or whatever, but, uh, you know, in trouble academically because I really wasn't paying attention. I didn't care much for it. And, um, my teachers were all concerned that I was going to drop out. I hated it so badly that I was just going to disappear one day and not come back to class. Right. And, um, you know, back then there was not cell phones and texting and any of that. So I don't think the school ever called my parents one time for any of their concerns. They just wrote it out and just went with it. And, um, but be that as it may, I had buddies of mine that were joining the military and I'd always wanted to be in the military from very young played army, but in a way in my head that that's what I wanted to to be in the military. And the one buddy who's joining the Marine Corps because his uncle was, um, uncle was a Marine actually during the uh, Cuban missile crisis, um, actually went into Cuba, uh, covertly was, you know, on the recon team that went in and took pictures of the missile emplacements that Cuba had started to build in, in that, in the sixties. And, um, so he was very motivated to join the Marine Corps like his uncle and become that. And so I started following him to the recruiting station, going with him. And 
I said, well, I, you know, my dad was talking about the Air Force. He's like, well, don't you want to be the best? I'm like, well, hell yeah, I want to be the best. He's like, well, you got to join the Marines then. So I'm like, all right, I'll join the Marines. So I joined, I joined the Marines really early in, the, in my mind by hanging out. And then when the time came, you could join one year before you could ship. So delayed entry program. So I joined on the day, like one year. So for 12 months, I sat having signed papers, having gone up and been sworn in actually, and in, in Columbus, Ohio, and they swear you in. And then you go back to school when you finish your high school. So my teachers didn't know I needed that diploma to be able to ship. Huh. So I had to stick it out as much as I hated it and grind through it, get my C's, maybe a B or an A here and there. If I kind of liked the, the subject or the teacher for the quarter, but then I'd get a D the next quarter. It was just very all over the place. But, um, and I, I left 20 days after high school graduation, I graduated, I had two weeks and then I got on a bus and they took me to the airport, flew me to Paris Island, South Carolina. And I met my drill instructors. Long story short, or is in the Marines, whether it was the, the stress of boot camp or the discipline of the way your life was controlled by the environment, my, a switch flipped in my head and I became Later. Sarge at some point, right? I became Sarge, whether I was a corporal or a Lance corporal or a PFC. And I became really good at leading a group and, even more so than I was in high school. And I look back and I actually was, I could get anybody to get in trouble. I could get the whole class to get in trouble. They would follow me, but I didn't realize that back then or I would have been way worse. <laughs> so, um, but, but that's, that's my story there. And I got out after one tour, but I served all over the world. Um, got to see places. Um, and the other point I really wanted to make about growing up in that time frame between, you know, 18 and, 25 was, um, luckily I had some really good mentors. I had other men. My father was one, uh, my, the guy that joined the Marine Corps, his father was another one. Cause I spent a lot of time at their house. Um, very successful in their own rights, different career paths and different things, but just had some sense of the way the world worked and was able to teach that to us in their own way without directly telling us. And then I had a, a platoon commander, a lieutenant that really, um, I looked up to tremendously. Um, he was a little bit older and he ended up staying in the Marine Corps for 34 years and retired as a Fulberg Colonel and which was, you know, an incredible career and he's an incredible man. And I still keep in touch with him today. Uh, but it, he was one that really helped me, you know, become better at what I did. And, uh, you know, in some ways I was impressing him with my willingness to do things the right way. And he was putting opportunities in front of me to take on more re leadership responsibility, you know, kind of feeding the monster. Like, we'll see how far this will go, you know, and just keep going till it breaks. And then we'll just dial it down with like one notch. And that was, that was my experience in really growing up. And then that just translated into getting out of the Marines working in a couple different jobs, but finding a career with, you know, the company I'm with now. And, you know, last week I crossed 30 years with that company. And so, uh, loyalty is something that obviously is highly ingrained in me and staying with this corporation and growing with it and, you know, getting to a C level position at this organization has been, you know, a very, 
you know, big successful success story in my mind for this kid that couldn't, you know, pass his English t- test or didn't care to do any work that's awesome. when he was 15 or 14. Right. So, uh, but that's, that's my story. So I think it relates. Um, one other thing that, um, to, to check another question off, cause you mentioned it, Scott with Tracy and the family, and that is athletes asking about balancing, uh, family life with training schedules, with race schedules, and, and just this world of triathlon colliding with, um, you know, whether it's a spouse or it's kids and a spouse, or it's a extended family of some kind that you have multiple people involved. And I think that, you know, you said it about your family and, and your wife that, you know, when it's time for you to go, they know the best way to, you know, be around is go. We'll take care of this. You go do that. You're going to be better when you come home for it. Um, and my story in that regard was Kenny got me into this. I had to learn how to swim. I didn't know how to swim. I did all those things. I, I swam three to four days a week for 11 months to learn how to swim. Still felt like I was an imposter to some degree, but I go to Kenny's race. Then Kenny back in the day, it was a lottery for Lake Placid. Oh he yeah. Puts in for the lottery. He's like, I got my spot. I'm like, I'm going with you. And so we're, you know, two or three weeks out from leaving for Placid. We're packing the car. We have no idea. We've got stuff stacked to the ceiling. Stacked. We, we're full. Cause we had no idea. First like Beverly Hillbillies. Iron, yeah. First full <laughs> Ironman. We're going to drive the 10 and a half hours from Pittsburgh up to uh, Lake Placid, New York. And so, but I'm sitting in the driveway, you know, it's June and or early July and my wife's there and I'm like, you know, we're, we're going to like Placid with Kenny, right? She's like, yeah. I said, you know, we're going to get this opportunity to sign up on a, you know, on site registration the next day. She's like, yeah. I said, I'm thinking about signing up. She's like, I already knew you were going to sign up. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, um, it was just great to have her say, and I said, are you good with it? You know, are you good? Because mm-hmm. I said, it's going to be like eight, nine hour training days, ultimately, not every day, but ultimately getting ready for a year from now to to do that. And the kids were tiny. They needed, you know, to be taken everywhere and things to be done with it. So my, you know, for me, experience was awesome because she gave me the license to do it. Um, I did it when I was home and I wasn't eating or sleeping. <laughs> um, you know, I tried to do everything else that the kids need to do, gymnastics and soccer and baseball and all that with the son. Um, but to have that support. And so, but she got to come to my first half. She came to my first half. So she had experienced triathlon from a spectator point of view before we were going to Lake Placid. And, um, I think that's extremely important with your, uh, families Mm -hmm. is to have them come out. I know Maddie Metz had his dad come out last year at Ohio. Many of our other athletes have had their, their, their parents, their wives, kids all come out to, to see mom or dad or, um, sisters, brothers, uh, compete. But I think that brings, an energy to the family member that they didn't expect. They like, Oh, I'm just here because it's my husband and they get fired up and maybe they don't get fired up to do the race. Some do, but they get fired up that, Oh, my significant others doing this and I'm helping because I'm able to 
support the family piece. So I don't know if you have more thoughts on that, Scott, because you brought it up just briefly. Yeah. With Tracy. And, and you know, you're right about touching on athletes. Uh, just reflecting on that. I can recall, oh man, Tanza, Steven, Matt Gordon, Josh, like all of their family members were around for races last year. And those are ones mm-hmm. that just come to the top of my head very quickly. Um, you know, the, the, I would say my, my personal experience with it has always been just the communication with family members up front about intentions for the year. Like, Hey, I'm considering doing this race or that race. Uh, are you okay with it? Like, you know, making sure that they understand the training that's lies ahead. And then, you know, asking like, or do you want to go to this destination? And if you don't want this race, then we can pick a destination that you like. That's smart. Very smart. Yeah. You know, I want this to be fun for everybody. Everybody. Um, you know, and, and usually the communication is always the communications, very open and honest and clear. And there are times where I've had to defer races or pivot off of races because of family needs. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because typically when that happens, I've, I've lined up another race, you know, immediately right at, right at the same time, same conversations and the general flow of that over the years has been very positive to, to the point where Sarge, I think Kim did a half Ironman. She ultimately did. She ultimately came around and a few years later trained up and did her own half. Absolutely. And we have couples now like the Hollies that were just here. Like they Mm -hmm. did the same thing. One of them got involved Ben then came after and said, yeah, this is awesome. I want to do it as well. Just from being around the environment, the other athletes, mm-hmm. it's contagious. Yeah, it is contagious. Yeah. And, and for my wife's race, she said, are, are you going to race? I'm like, no, I'm not racing. This is your race. Yeah. I'll watch the kids. I'll carry the stuff. I was the Sherpa, uh, you know, uh, Ironman Sherpa for that particular race. And it was awesome. And we've seen our athletes do that as well, like Snipes and Kindley. They also took turns back and forth. Mm-hmm. Like I think yeah. that dynamic, as you watch that play out with your family, you know, it's just it's all about the relationships, the communication, and then once that all is open and honest, then there's buy-in, and it just makes the experience that much more enjoyable. Yeah, and I think you're seeing it. Val yesterday was there for Shane, and it was his birthday, and he mm-hmm. ran eight miles very fast, and. Um, he's going to do it 26 miles, but he said, Hey, this is your journey. I'm here mm-hmm. to support you. But she said, he's going to get the bite, you know, of mm-hmm. being around this, being around the energy. And he's already commenting about, wow, this energy is unbelievable. My biggest thing, honestly, is the communication asking the time, what's going to be the time for this, um, where and when, um, but also like, don't be selfish. Like if you know, you can get up at four in the morning and do your three hour bike ride, do it. Nobody's awake. Yeah. Nobody is awake. Get it done before. And then there's no interruption. If you have a new baby, get it done in the morning and, and, and and make it about, Hey, everybody else first me last. Mm -hmm. Cause I tell people all the time, if nobody's at the finish line, what, what did it matter that you did everything? Right. So be, if you can get your stuff done, I've always found like, Oh, I couldn't get out of bed. I was sleeping in. So when are you doing it? Eight o'clock at night when you could be chilling out with your wife or chilling out with the kids. Mm -hmm. Do it in the morning. Be intentional with, hey, this is the commitment I'm going to have and I'm going to go at it and I'm going to stick to this. It's so funny you mentioned that about family and stuff. And drawing back to my recent personal experience when I was in Florida, that race was one of my favorite Ironman races of all time. And it just happened for me for multiple reasons. One was I didn't think I could go this fast at this age. Oh, you brought it. So that, that was fun. Like that was a nice, fun surprise. 
also because I had to train a little differently for it. So I was a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. unsure about, am I going to actually perform de- even decent? But the most important part of that was there's a picture because it was in the middle of December. It was in Florida. There's a giant Christmas tree in this park with my entire family that included my sister and her kids. So this was an opportunity for my parents to have both my sister and I present mm-hmm. with our children. Oh, it probably meant the world. Oh, it was amazing. For them and you got to do a race. And and the funniest comment was my sister said something like, oh, I feel like this is like 1987 all over again. We're sitting here because we were waiting for the, the roll down announcements for the world championship, for the awards. And we're just hanging out like chatting, but like we have this giant amount of time to kill. And she was like, Man, this feels like 1987 all over again. We're just waiting around in an award ceremony. And I was like, oh, that was cool. And you could tell like my parents, they my dad it. in particular, like really appreciated it. Mm-hmm. Like no hurry to go anywhere. And we were just chatting. It just, it just made the, it, it became less about the race and more about just being around one another. Right. Right. And, and so close on that roll down. Oh, coach so close we'll take another shot no yeah, yeah. We're, coming, we're coming with the claws <laughs> and the fangs sharpened that's right sandusky sandusky <laughs> here we come here we come awesome so uh changing the subject again now what about embarrassments oh anybody I got, got embarrassments out there that they want to share with the listeners i don't get embarrassed ever ever <laughs> but these would be embarrassing okay so a, uh, I grabbed the wrong bib at a 5K. I was pushing Lorelei on the stroller. I had a bib of somebody that was 60 years old, um, and it was a lady like Laverne Williams or something <laughs> like that. And I ran with it and ended up winning the age group because somebody passed me, and I'm like, oh, no way. I'm pushing Lorelei. Lorelei loves it. Her hands are going crazy. Her feet are out. And I, I ended up winning this age group. And they're like, bib number 42. And I looked down, and I'm like, oh, snap. <laughs> like, I won it. You won the 60-year-old and up. <laughs> female division oh yeah and murph was like uh go get it that's and that's an age group win go up and get it and just say you're laverne and i'm like no because then it screwed somebody else out of that right so that was one <clears throat> the other one would have been and it wasn't embarrassing but my swimsuit was very my wetsuit was always very worn especially in the groin area and it developed like a dime size hole right in the in the crotch area and everybody knows before <laughs> you race you always feel like you have to pee. It's that nervous energy. Yep. So there was a good period of like five or six races in a row, like Edinburgh Dam Try, Mighty Moraine. Um, and it, where the, I think it hit the head was in Ohio. Or it was Maryland. Eagle Man. Eagle Man? Eagle Man in Maryland. Eagle Man. Okay. So I'm standing there in a crowd and I know I have to pee. And I'm like, I'm just going to let it rip and I don't care. And I'm thinking, I don't really look down. And I, I look down and it is shooting straight out <laughs> like, a, like a fountain. Okay. And it's all over Jason Brem's leg. Yeah. His wife screaming at me. Now everybody starts looking at me yeah. and I'm moving to try to get away from Jason. I'm hitting some guy that I don't know on his leg. I didn't care. The guy was like high fived me. And I'm like, I thought he was going to punch me. But oh. I didn't really care. Then that became like, can he pee? Pee real quick. Sarge is over there. Yeah. Would get him. And <laughs> it, it was on a, people's feet. Became a thing. I did. Oh, my God. But that was my, that was my Ben. Uh, I guess yeah, I think was, Ben Holly asked that. And he of actually, course he did. He actually <laughs> said embarrassing stories preferred. Yes. This one, right? So. I don't get embarrassing much, but that would be like my, my two funny stories with that. Yeah, Coach Scott, I think that uh, you got anything that you'd be willing to share with the listeners about him being embarrassed? Yeah, the um, – so so when I was in college, 
we would do two a day workouts. We would do a morning workout and an afternoon workout. And, um, because I was on the team from a class scheduling perspective, the coaches always encouraged us to take morning courses so that we could leave practice in the morning, go straight to our class and then have the afternoons wide open again for training needs. Uh, so, you know, we spent the first couple of weeks before classes started my freshman year on campus. We were training real hard. First day of classes, we start, I get up very early. We have a hard training session. I go to my first class, which is auditorium class of like 200 students. I thought, oh man, I'm going to like start off on the right foot academically. So I walk in, I sit in the front row, I'm sitting up straight, I'm all proud. And like 10 minutes into class, I realize, oh my God, I'm going to have diarrhea. Like that workout was way too hard. And so I'm like squirming and I'm starting to sweat really bad. And I'm like looking at counting the seconds. And finally I'm like, this, this is going to end very poorly. So I get up and I literally sprint up the stairs, bust through the door, run down the hallway and get sick. Did we make it? We made it. Okay. But I didn't, it, I didn't need to know that question. But I didn't learn anything. Yeah. So the next class I thought, well, this isn't going to happen again. So I show up front row. Same thing happens I, within like 10 minutes of class. Next class happens. I'm like, okay, now I've really learned my lesson. So I walk in the next class and I sit all the way up in the last row, right beside the door. Same thing happens. It's just, I don't have to run in front of everybody. Professor calls me out after class. He was like, what is your deal, man? Like what is going on? And I just, I just told him, I was like, look, I'm <laughs> a D, bro. I, I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like it. It the happens <laughs> with hip and now today, man, you're not asking. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm looking over at Kenny and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really recall many embarrassing moments for Sarge, but there, there are a few and they all involve Kenny. So, uh, the one in particular is, uh, Kenny's pretty famous for, uh, you know, signing me up for things or signing people up at random for things. So, uh, yeah. So I find out these using my points at Walgreens and everything Mose. else. <laughs> Mose. I, get, I get welcome emails that I've joined the Moe's uh, taco uh, club or something. Right. But um, we were early on in our triathlon careers, you know, just getting into the sport and, you know, really wanted to, you know, go to Bermuda. His mother lived there at the time and we uh, were, were trying to see if they had any triathlons in Bermuda. They, they really don't because the island's only like 11 miles long, you know, and so, but we did find some local sprint or something. So Kenny's on my iPad, which is the last time he's ever been able to touch any of my electronics. No electronics device. in your, because <clears throat> he gets on the, on their website and starts an email off to the race director of the sprint and says, Hey, we're really interested in like a 70.3 or a full Ironman on Bermuda, you know? Um, and he, he overstates the credentials a little bit by saying that that I Sarge have have won multiple numerous age, <laughs> numerous age group awards. <laughs> so the net net is they come back with a a nice email later about a week later, and he has so, no clue this is happening. Yeah, and so I get this email and say, "Oh, thanks for your interest in Bermuda, but you know the island's really not that big. We don't have seventy point threes and." We can't really comp your race. Yeah, we can't really give you for comp. <laughs> we're asking for comped races and everything else. So that's one. The second one is, is I go to the running store and, and to get new shoes and, and the guys at the running store are all like, Oh, Sarge, Hey, how you doing? I'm like, yeah, I, I guess I'm known there a little bit. You know, it's our local place. 
and they're like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, why would you ask? They're like, oh, well, Kenny was just in here about a week ago. And he said that you had hemorrhoids real bad. <laughs> you weren't running. And they were confused because they said that runners tend not to be hey, tight, and tight, area. tight down there and don't have hemorrhoids. <laughs> But they, you know, they were really worried about me and they were surprised to see me in there buying new shoes that, you know, Kenny had told them I wasn't running anymore because I had hemorrhoids. <laughs> oh, I, I this is like about a month later, I go back in and pick something up. And I said to that young guy, I'm like, I can't imagine Sarge. He's running his Ironman in those white leather, all New Balance heavy. He goes, oh, I'm going to call him right now and straighten him out. <laughs> and Sarge's getting a call and he's like, I'm ready to strangle that guy. He's telling me I'm getting New Balance. Yeah. I have no clue what he's talking no, about. And Kenny tells him like, oh, no, Sarge, Sarge did research on those. They're, they're gout approved. And the guy's like, all shoes are gout approved. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> So there's there's a little shenanigans going on around here. So it's it's fun, fun stuff. So. Remember, remember in Twitter, I I won that gout awareness uh, yeah. package <laughs> back when we were heavy in Twitter. Uh, uh, what, what did you win? A, 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 I don't know a basket of cherry juice, a yeah, basket yeah. of like anything to take gout away. Yeah. And he, I, I go, hey, I, I won this. And he goes, what did you win? I go, a gout awareness package. He goes, do you have gout? I go, no, but I talk about it quite often. I talk about it on, on on Twitter back <laughs> back in those days. So awesome. Well, guys, thank you very much for for joining today. Um, we. Uh, for the listeners here, this is going to be a two-part series. We have very, a lot more questions to go through. Um, we're going to pick back up with a part two. So thanks for listening to the Victory Multisport Podcast. Yeah.